Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'll be with you for the next hour. Follow the Leaders is our new programme where listeners will hear from the people who are leading the way and have already made the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and who are taking steps to reduce their carbon footprint. Over the course of the series, we will be meeting individuals who represent the changes required across each of the themes in Ireland's Climate Action Plan. The themes of home and energy, travel, food and waste, the circular economy and local climate and environmental action. These are people providing leadership by walking the talk about how people need to make dramatic changes in their lifestyles. Over the course, over the 15 programmes, you the listener will be able to find out in detail about what is involved in making meaningful changes across each of these five areas. Follow the Leaders aims to show that while thinking globally about climate change, there are people who are taking action locally and if more people follow their lead, the necessary steps to halt the climate crisis can be achieved. And I'm Delighted to be joined in studio by my co-presenter, Robbie Dowling. Robbie, you're very welcome. How are you today? Thanks very much, Deirdre. I'm very good. Thank you. Robbie, you're the person who has been out and about meeting the people and making the changes. Can you give us a, an insight or a preview as to what we have to look forward to? Yeah, certainly can. So ultimately, the main theme across the 15 programme series is that people that we can all relate to have made and are still making small changes in their own lives that are having a big impact on tackling the climate crisis. We'll also get a greater understanding, I think, as to how these changes act as cost-saving initiatives, which means it's a no-brainer, really, when you think about it, when we talk about small, convenient amendments that have no negatives for individuals or for society generally. And Robbie, what's coming up on the programme this evening? Yeah, so a little bit later on, we're going to hear from the agronomist for O'Shea's Farms in Pilltown, Tom Murray, who will bring us through the different measures they've put into place in their business that have been supportive of the environment while also significantly reducing their costs. First of all, though, we're going to be focusing on the Environmental Protection Agency and Irish Farmers Association-backed Smart Farming Programme. Shortly, you'll be hearing about Carlo Farmer George Hatton's experience with the programme that perfectly describes how environmental changes can also lead to huge cost savings I think his story does anyway but right now Chair of the IFA Environment and Rural Affairs Committee Paul O'Brien will bring us through the programme's uh, origins and its development while Cuffs Grange farmer Eamon Sheehan describes what it was like to implement the programme from a practical perspective Sounds good let's have a listen to Paul and Eamon Now I'm joined by Chair of the National Environmental and Rural Affairs Committee with the IFA Paul O'Brien and a dairy farmer from Cuffs Grange who of course is also the County Secretary with the IFA and a rep with the Environmental Committee Eamon Sheehan. Uh, Gentlemen thanks ever so much for joining me today. Paul first of all if I start with you could you explain to us what your role with the IFA is as Chair of the National Environmental and Rural Affairs Committee? Well, thank you, Robert, for the invitation to come and speak to you today. The Environmental and Rural Affairs Committee of the IFA is a very broad, but it's a very important committee within the IFA structure. As you all, all of your listeners will understand, the climate objectives of the government, um, you know, how we are able to meet those objectives are going to be very, very important going forward. One of the key things that we have to do is, as farmers, we have to use nutrients, we have to use fertiliser, we have to use spray, we have to, you know, work with nature to produce grass and crops that we can feed animals, but can also, at the end of the the process, feed humans as well. So the role of the Environmental Committee is working with farmers to deliver policy that protects the environment, but also helps to produce food and also sustainable living for farmers and rural communities. And Eamon, if I bring you into it, as I mentioned there, you're a dairy farmer, local dairy farmer from Cuffs Grange. Could you give us a bit of an insight into your own background and how you got into farming? Thanks, Robert. Yeah, we have been uh, dairy farming for the last 10 years. We were initially suckler beef farmers and I've been at home farming for the last 22 years. And in 2012, there was an opportunity to uh, apply for a new entrant quota to allow new uh, farmers, uh, new dairy farmers to start out. And I applied for that and received it. So uh, this this is our 10th year in dairy now. And... Paul, if I go back to you, we're going to talk a little bit with the both of you about the Smart Farming Programme. 
I discussed it as well with a Carlo farmer, George Hatton, but you have a great insight into how it came to be. Could you explain to our listeners what the origins of the Smart Farming Programme are? Okay, well, back in about eight or nine years ago, the Environmental Protection Agency at a conference one day came to the farming representatives in IFA at the time and um, said, you know, there is no real link up between agriculture and the EPA. So a number of very smart people sat down in the room long before I was there, unfortunately, but a number of very smart people sat down in the room and they designed this program called the Smart Farming Program. Its benefits were mutual, you know, improve the sustainability credentials of farmers, help the environment, but also show where reductions can be made with input usage to maximise financial gain for farmers as well. So it's a win for the environment on one hand, and it's also a win for the farmer and financially on the other side. So this programme has now developed over the last number of years where a farmer would approach the IFA at our smart farming stand in either the Tullamore show or a county show, but particularly the plan match. And they would register an interest to say, okay, then I am prepared to take the smart farming challenge. An agronomist will then go out and visit their farm. They'll gather up all of their, I suppose, their feed dockets, their fertilizer dockets. They'll they take a, a kind of a map of the farm. Then they'll go out and do some things like soil sampling. So, you know, to make sure that the fertilizer usage was corresponding with the fertilizer need. And so to make sure that nothing excessively was being used. Other things that to look at as well would have been the energy usage on the farm, the, the water usage, and all of these others to just to make sure that the farm was being I suppose maximized for production usage and that there was no kind of excessive losses going on so you know a lot of the farms that we've we've worked with over the last number of years they had savings you know going into many many thousands but also the reductions in potential losses were also seen as well so it was it is still a very mutually beneficial program now, what's happened over the years now, Robert, is, is that I suppose other the co-ops and the, you know, Board Bio and other organisations have taken a look at this and and have developed their own, I suppose, smart farming programme. And that's excellent because the more and more farmers that can engage in these types of um, programmes or projects going forward is great because that clearly is at a stage now when we can look back in a number of years to come and say, okay, then we were able to reduce maybe our chemical fertilizer usage, but we were still able to maximize and get the same level of production. So it's a great opportunity for farmers to be able to say, okay, then this is a free package. We then have the ability to then to, to use that information that's provided with us with this pack and say okay then this is what i need to do and this is how i can do the mutual benefits reduce our impact on the environment but also maintain and improve our cash flow and bank balance as a result and how was it met originally because you've been here from roughly since the start paul what you know there's a lot of talk and narrative about kind of farmers and they're linked to the environment or whatever but how was the sort of general feeling amongst farmers when this program came to be? Was it one of scepticism or optimism? I think most farmers, if you can clearly define to them that, you know, if you can maximise production or keep the production level at, at where you wish to be and save money, I think it's the saving money aspect that they'll look at and say, OK, that's perfect. I, no, we'll go along with that. Now, not everyone is going to be able to get the same benefits. There's a lot of good farmers already involved in, in, in this programme anyway so but it's really just to give them an idea okay with the information that you have now got at hand you can have benefits with this it's going to it's going to save you money ultimately in the end but what you will also be doing it will also improve your sustainable credentials going forward and Eamon how did you get involved with the smart farming program where did you hear about it first and when did the implementation of it start for yourself I saw it, uh, I saw the smart farming uh, program initially advertised on the farmers journal and I had um put my application forward at that time and um 
I suppose shortly afterwards I was contacted and um, there was a chartered accountant um, sent to the farm to me after well sorry I suppose shortly afterwards I was contacted and I supplied information from my farm such as my accounts, my feed dockets, um, my fertiliser dockets, um, just general costs of electricity and soil samples, uh, different areas that they could um, look at before they came out on farm. Um, After that process I had a chartered accountant on farm and they had gone through everything that I was doing on a daily basis uh, even from uh, times of milking and um, just to work out the peak costs of peak cost of electricity usage uh, we went through our soil samples uh, how and when we applied uh, fertiliser even down to things such as in the milking parlour uh, calibrating and testing each one of the feed uh, units to make sure that they are feeding out exactly the amount of uh, feed that I thought was feeding so it was great to have an outside um, an outside person that fully scrutinised the farm from, from every angle and previous to that you know like the majority of farmers I would have been involved in uh, with Chagas and we do a yearly profit monitor um, check amongst all our group and that's you know from last year's accounts where we you know I suppose uh, compare each other's figures uh, to each other to uh, set a bar for a yearly basis but from this point of view I suppose what was great is that you had a complete stranger coming in with no um, no motive other than to pinpoint your areas that you could improve on. And you mentioned areas there that you can improve on and, and maybe a lack of bias by this person coming in to help you. What were the major benefits of that in your opinion? Not just I suppose in the short term but in the longer term since you did implement the Smart Farming Programme which I think was four years ago back in 2019. Yeah that's correct and uh I suppose the main thing was somebody that um, you didn't know that wasn't afraid to hurt your feelings when it came down to stating something obvious and I thought it was interesting when um, when we first met and um, he said to me yeah you know it, it was sold to him that it would be very easy to find you know 10,000 in savings inside a farm gate and um, but from his point of view why he took this initial project on board was to see for himself um, where these figures were going to be found so from his point of view um, thankfully it was relatively uh, difficult you know so it showed that I was you know running a pretty good uh, farm enterprise but equally there was a lot of savings from simple things um the main one, I suppose, was on the milking parlour. We we uh, looked at the electricity usage and afterwards there was an application put in for an SSEA grant um, for a variable speed vacuum pump. So what that did for us was it cut down 10% of our electricity costs uh, for our milkings. And that, the I suppose, our main electricity usage will be during milkings and milk cooling. So that was a that was a big saving for us. Other areas, I suppose, which we would have taken on board uh, previous to this, you know, we we always used low emission um, slurry application, which reduced our our methane. Um, Losses and and our nitrogen losses because the 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 organic matter was getting put directly to the soil and um, you know it just it was improved basis of soil health and and um, and less damage to the environment so from that point of view uh, other areas that we looked at was uh, soil testing on a yearly basis which I would have done on a bi-yearly basis but it allowed me to see um, improvements or disimprovements more rapidly and we were able to address fields, individual fields with exact nutrients that they needed to stay in peak performance whether that was through spreading lime to improve the soil pH uh, or improving our P and K indexes on, on individual fields so no field was treated the same afterwards and we were able to do that through applications of farmyard manure and uh, from the slurry that we had uh, from our winter period as well. It's really interesting to hear an individual's perspective with the programme. Paul, to, to kind of give a broader scope about it, how successful has it been in your opinion? It seems to be something that a lot of farmers, both individually as we hear in Eamon's case, but also as a collective, have really endorsed. Well, I think Robert's 
the IFA's EPA amalgamation on the smart farming was probably the first of its kind. Now a lot of other programs have been done by, as I say, whether they're co-op sustainability teams, whether there's board beer are getting involved in this. But this, so so this is good. So initially, forty or fifty farmers were part of the program every year, but now there's thousands of farmers who are in some form of a sustainability audit or you know you know just to prove their environmental credentials going forward and that's becoming ever ever more important because there is a a, a body of opinion out there that the farmers are the, the the big bad beasts out there and um you know there is going to be emissions from agriculture um we have to reduce those we do know that we've been set a target under the climate um, sectorial targets of a 25% reduction by the time we get to the end of this decade. And ultimately, we will have to reduce that further going forward. But it's how we produce food. It's improving our sustainable model. It's can we go and do better? Can we help reduce emissions? Can we improve water quality in our areas? And can we also have a re- you know, a financial benefit in farm by doing that. So this is the key thing, you know, if there's joined up thinking and if if, if there's the ability to take a big view of the world and if we can bring that down to our own level and try to improve our own sustainability credentials, that helps everybody. That proves that we have a a product that is able to compete on any world market because we have the best um, we have the best credentials for dairy in Europe. We have the fifth best credentials for for beef in Europe, and we need to maintain that and go better. The bar's getting higher. We need to meet that challenge. And I believe farmers will. We will meet that technology. You know, we will meet those changes as more and more technologies become available for us to be able to do. We are in a very dynamic industry, but farmers have always been up for a challenge. And I believe if given enough opportunity, we can always meet that challenge and do better. And just before I let you go, it's kind of a question that I'll pose to the two of you maybe in in different ways. Eamon, first of all, for individual farmers maybe that are on the fence about applying for this programme or utilising this programme, what would you say to them to kind of, you know, espouse the virtues of it, I suppose? I think from a farming perspective, you know, the majority of us are working on our own and um, sometimes the obvious uh, things that we can improve on don't seem as obvious when we see them on a daily basis and there's always room for improvement and the best part I suppose about being involved with the Smart Farming Initiative is that you know we got to save money and it didn't cost us money so to get somebody of the calibre of the people that are going through all our uh, paperwork and putting the time and effort that they are into um, our farm would cost a lot of money from an individual perspective so it's a no-brainer from from my point of view and Paul what would you say to those people that maybe are unsure about whether to implement the programme and in addition what does the future of the programme hold do you think okay I think the the first thing is is that every farmer should be doing no matter what scale of farming you're doing some minimal things like soil testing you know you shouldn't need to be spreading more fertilizer if the fertilizer that you've spread is is able to meet the job so it's this is the key thing if you're spreading excessive nutrients those are the nutrients that are going to be lost if they, the plant doesn't have the ability to absorb those nutrients that's where the losses take place so you only spread what you need and i think that's it so some very simple rules do your soil testing every four years you should have a quarter of the farm done so every uh, at the end of four years you should know exactly what's going on in your farm develop a fertilizer um, program with either the Chuggerses or your private independent advisor or even somebody from the cooperatives, the sustainability teams, your merchant just get good advice on doing things like that. You know as slurry has become a, a really essential nutrient use that and use it productively, particularly in the months from March, April and May where there's a good opportunity for it to be utilised to its maximum potential. So there's lots of simple things that could be done. But 
I do believe that we are entering into an era where costs have risen over the last number of years. Costs, costs have been expensive. Fertiliser has now become a very, very expensive thing to be using. So even if it means just getting your fertiliser spreader calibrated to make sure that, you're, that, that it's been done properly, simple little things. I think, you know, you don't have to change the world. Just simple little things, steady, will will improve your own financial situation, but will also have the multiple benefits of less wastage, less opportunity for it to be lost. Um, and I suppose, look, where does this program going? going? Um, unfortunately, the whole COVID scenario did have an effect on it because, you know, people didn't want other people from outside their own family going onto farms and so you know but it has given us the opportunity to try to redevelop it and just to refocus it and that's what we're doing at the moment so we've taken a bit of a year off we're hoping to go back again now very very soon but we've fine-tuned and we've we've been looking at some of the previous work being done on those farms, such as Eamon's and such as George's as well in Carlo, and just to see, okay, then how can we improve on that? Now, what are the feedback coming from those farmers? What more do they expect of us going forward? And I believe, Robert, this is a good opportunity, you know, because we all need food. We all want to be, you know, involved in the agricultural um, systems. We, we, you know, we want to be farming. Society needs food. You might need a doctor, hopefully only once a year. You might need a solicitor once every five years. But you will need a farmer three times a day, every day of the year. So it's producing that food with the highest green credentials we possibly can. And I think that's a win for farmers. It's a win for society because they need to eat. And ultimately, it'll be a win for the environment. That was Paul O'Brien, Chair of the IFA Environment and Rural Affairs Committee and Eamon Sheehan chatting to Robbie, explaining what the EPA and IFA Smart Farming Programme is and how it has been of benefit to Eamon on his dairy farm in Cuffsgrange, Kilkenny. We need to take a quick break now, but stay tuned as coming up, we will be hearing from a Carlo farmer and his experiences of the EPA Smart Farming Programme. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy, joined by my co-presenter Robbie Dowling. And before the break, we heard all about the EPA Smart Farming Programme with Paul O'Brien, Chair of the IFA Environment and Rural Affairs Committee and Kilkenny farmer Eamon Sheehan. We're going to continue our conversation around the EPA Smart Farming Programme now with Carlo farmer George Hatton. Let's have a listen. I'm joined now by local Carlow farmer George Hatton who of course availed of the EPA Smart Farming Programme. George, before we get into that, could you give us some background to what it is that you do here? I farm here with my wife and uh, my son and we're uh, tillage and beef farmer. The main enterprise would be tillage all right, but uh, we'd have uh, about 30 suckler cows and finish them to a beef stage. And how is it that you initially got into this line of work? Was it kind of um, passed down through the generations? Yeah, yeah, no, we, we would have, our, our families would have been farming all, all along and um, I was just keen to farm as much as uh, my son now is, is keen to farm, to follow on in the farming. And how difficult was this line of work over the last few years, especially, I suppose, during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, sure. Look, we were very much isolated to any 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 day of the week, like you know. So COVID wasn't really anything new to us. Um, we just snuck down and and um, done a good bit of work and everything. Lucky, my, my son was home from school too as well, and he helped out a good bit. All right. And kind of going on then, I mentioned the EPA Smart Farmer Program. Why did you decide to use that program? I probably was through the IFA I got involved in it I was on the environmental committee at the time and um, they were uh, doing the uh, programme so um, I joined up to do it then And what is it that you do on the environmental committee George? Uh, the Environmental Committee is a huge range of, of stuff. We go through everything to do with the environment, regulations, uh, uh, various big things like that, like road developments and stuff like that, uh, helping out farmers um, a decent deal on, 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 their, uh, on the land. And just to go back to the EPA Smart Farming Programme, could you outline to our listeners what the benefits of that programme are? 
Well, the benefits, I have definitely increased my stock a little bit on the same amount of grassland. I have cut back a little bit on nitrogen and I have introduced um, a lot more organic nitrogen into the farm. And how supportive of environmental improvement was the programme, do you think? Uh, it was very supportive, all right. It's made you think outside of the box. Uh, for the environment, I was doing bits and pieces on, on the environment here anyway, so um, it made me just focus a little bit more on it. Do you think it's a real eye-opener to people and farmers, especially, I suppose, that feasible change can happen kind of with, you know, with, once they have the facts and information at hand, that they can make that change to help support the environment? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have the facts and figures there, it will help you go in that direction. Uh, but most farmers would be going a little bit in, the, in that direction, but they wouldn't. Um, they need support to, to help them to go in that direction too, as well. Do you think that's absolutely critical that they're kind of shown the right way to go, rather than kind of having to do it all themselves? Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, we have to be shown. Maybe the younger generation coming up along uh, will have the initiative to, to, to go on like that. I know my son is definitely thinking more on, on the environment, all right. So, look, it's, uh, older generation would have to be shown a little bit, all right, yeah. And how did you find out about the programme initially, George? Uh, as I say, it was um, serving on the Environment Committee. Um, I was the county chair here, so that's how I, I learned about the uh, programme. And how did you know that it was something that would be a benefit to you when you initially came across the programme? The initial thoughts are right, yeah. I was. I thought that I was fairly efficient and everything like that, but it pays pays more attention to detail, and it justly everybody has to learn a little bit every year and everything like that. Um, we're always learning, and um, yeah, it it was it was great to, to do it. Yeah, and obviously you say that it was great. Have you recommended it to any of your peers, any other farmers? Uh, yeah, I would have. I would have recommended it. All right, yeah, yeah, to to various farmers. All right both um, nationally and um, in, the, in the county. Is it something that's kind of spoken about, you mentioned there nationally and in the county, is it, is, are programmes like these something that's spoken about a lot amongst farmers? Yeah, uh, look, at I, I served on, on the Grain Committee there. When I finished up on the Environment Committee, I served on the Grain Committee and um, actually one of the farmers up in Donegal was, was, um, had participated in, in this scheme, yeah. And George, how imperative are programmes like these to keep people in farming? And I suppose to get more people into farming also. Yes, uh, farmers have always been uh, kind of environmentally friendly, but there is more pressure and pressure coming on farmers from uh, the general public and from the EU. So uh, we just have to tidy up a little bit, all right, and we will meet um, the environment targets. And there are a few different components to this program that I'd like to go through. First of all, farmers will receive a free resource efficiency assessment with tailored advice from an agronomist for their farm business. Could you explain to us, a layperson like myself, what that is? Well, there was various stages to it, like we've done soil samples and figured out what fields needed lime and just only spread to the right P's and K's on whether a field was high in, in P and K. You didn't spread as much for fertiliser. Grass management, uh, yeah, uh, rotation, uh, making paddocks for, for, for the cattle and everything like that. So they had a three-week three week cycle and um, cutting back on your meal bill then that's it cutting back in your meal bill um turning out earlier and turning or housing the cattle uh, later in the year and uh, having more grass utilizing the grass that is there um in a better way and also another component that i think would interest a lot of people is the cost saving analysis um how crucial was something like that to get kind of more people involved in the program and what does that cost saving analysis entail uh, well the cost saving analysis really is 
you you won't exactly see it straight away or, or anything like that. Okay, they give you recommendations if you um, well, obviously if you cut back your meal bill, you will save money, um, and it's, it's no expense to get into that. Uh, splitting up your fields into paddocks, it's a very s- simple little job. Um, just only a, a few extra water troughs and, and um, uh, electric fence uh, uh, dividing up up the field. Not really any major expense going in, but uh, you definitely see it. It takes a couple of years for for your to get back your your uh, money. And then another part is the silage quality analysis for farmers. What, what does that do? If you have a good DMD in your silage, you'll be able to go back on your meal. You won't have to buy as much meal. I here actually have just any uh, rolled barley, beans and um, pulp nuts. I, pulp nuts is the, probably the only things that is imported and um, it's all sourced locally and there is a saving in that. And there's a domestic water analysis too. Could you explain to us what that is? It just only tests your water just to make sure it's not high in, in any any uh, nitrates or, or anything like that. That that's what, that was all free. So like it it helps you determine that you're you're not um, putting out too much peas and k's out, out on your ground. And there's two more things I just want to go through briefly, George. Uh, the penultimate one is the carbon navigator. What is that? Because uh, when I came across when I came across it, I wasn't quite sure what that entailed. Carbon navigator it determines how much carbon is is being produced on the farm. You have it distinguishing by uh, grass-fed uh, animals are produce less carbon, all right, than in getting meal imported from uh, South America or Brazil or anything like that. And um, we are probably in this country we are probably the lowest carbon footprint on cattle. And finally, a nutrition management plan. Nutrition management plan, yeah, uh, my um, agricultural advisor yeah, dra- draws up a new, uh, nutrition plan every year and we follow that going forward anyway. And you mentioned they're an agricultural advisor. Who is that and are they for all farmers or how does that work? Uh, well, you have Chagas, and uh, who is probably the state uh, representative body, and then you have private um, agricultural advisors. I use a private uh, agricultural advisor, and um, he helps me uh, with all the finer details on on on, on the farm. And all the different components there that I mentioned that come under the banner of the EPA Smart Farming Program. Am I right in saying they're all free of charge? Yeah, the soil, uh, soil analysis was free of charge. The, um, the uh, water test was free of charge. I didn't get the silage done all right, yeah, uh, because I make bale silage here, so like each individual bale is, is would would have probably different DMD. Uh, yeah, all, all was, was free, yeah. And did you know about any of these things or all of these things or a few of them before you actually signed up to the programme? Yeah, I would have known all of these things, but uh, I probably just wouldn't put them into into action. So I would at, at the time. And how helpful was the smart farming agronomist when it came to helping you save money? Well, sure. I go back to your paddock system on on the, on, on the grass. Um, before I was just only letting the cattle out and, and the stead on the same field nearly the whole year round. Uh, when I divided up the paddocks, they were on a, t- a twenty day rotation. Uh, they had fresher grass, uh, sweeter grass, and I could see the benefits in the, in the tribe in the, in the cattle over the year. And how practical are the steps involved in the programme in helping farmers like yourself actually save money in the short run and I suppose as you maybe touched on a little bit earlier, more so in the long run also? In the short run you will see uh, benefits alright, uh, like with electricity alright, yeah, you, you, you will see it, you'll be able to, to pick out a change in your su- supplier alright between grass management, it takes a year for that to really kind of kick in alright yeah, you know And could you explain to us in a bit of detail the various things the agronomist goes through to actually help farmers save money? 
Yeah, well, sure, look, he'd be looking at your meal bill, he'd be looking at your fertiliser bill, he'd be looking at your um, uh, grass management, um, uh, your silage, he'd be advising you on if you were able to keep your cattle out that little bit longer, uh, stocking up grass there, keep them out that little bit longer, and um, getting out earlier on, on, on the ground, if weather permits. And just to go back to kind of the initial talk about the programme itself how does the application process work for it? Uh, well as I say the application process was I just only got involved through the, the um, environment committee anyway and there was no real much of an application at all like you know it's just only signed up not really signed up to it just says to say we will go ahead with it and that's it and do you think that's actually quite beneficial that there's not a lot of red tape or, you know, forms that have to be filled out or that, that it's quite easy for all farmers to avail of something like this? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's quite easy to avail of it. Um, it's quite easy to uh, get it set up and everything like that. They supply uh, an agronomist and he will or he or she will, 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 will go through the various steps with you. And um, it's not, it only takes about half a day. That's all, but there's no really signing up of farms. They mainly do most of the work anyway. Like. And as you look back on your own experience with the programme, George, what are your biggest takeaways from it? My biggest takeaway from it is it definitely makes you think outside of the box. You'll you'll definitely think of things and and see how you how you can save another little bit of money or, or uh, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the biggest thing to me to me was was dividing up the paddocks, uh, the grassland, and it was just only a matter of of electric fence and it was just really um, iron stakes and and uh, run an electric fence across the field. And not just as a farmer, but as a person generally outside of the farm and outside of your working life, would you say that the programme has helped you become more environmentally conscious, I suppose? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it would help, help you become more and more conscious of the environment. Well, I would be conscious of the environment here too as well anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's it, yeah. And has it sort of opened the eyes of farmers, do you think, into more programmes like these that are beneficial from a financial point of view, but also go to help the environment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, that's that's the way farming is 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 heading at the at the moment. Um, we would have been doing a fair bit all right beforehand, but um, as I say, um, this just only pushes that pushes you a little bit more and and makes you do a little bit more for for the environment. And just generally, from before you implemented the program and now after it how much has it actually changed your working life I suppose for the positive or maybe even if there are some negatives attached but I think by your sentiment it seems to be all positives yeah it would be positive all right yeah definitely it'd be positive yeah you'd I would have I was wondering beforehand like how extra how can I make extra money or and or save money and it wasn't really until the the program that really pointed out these things of showing me how to save the money does it go to show, because I suppose there's some scepticism in some quarters about maybe how farmers are actually going to make their livelihoods and make some income while also being environmentally friendly, does it really go to show that both of those things can be done hand in hand? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, they, they can be done hand in hand. It doesn't take really that much more to, to, to be that little bit more environmentally friendly. And finally, George, what's the main message you would like to send to people who may be on the fence when it comes to applying to programmes like these? Uh, I, I would recommend people to, to apply for, for, for these programmes. There's nothing to lose. You will, you will get benefits out of it. Like, even if you only pick up one, one thing out of it, it's, it's well worth your while doing it. Well, really insightful stuff, George. Thanks ever so much for speaking to me today and best wishes in the future. OK, thanks, Robert, very much. George Hatton there speaking about the, his experiences of the EPA Smart Farming Programme. Uh, Robbie, now that we've heard from Paul, Eamon and George, what were your main takeaways from your discussions or what you learned about the Smart Farming Programme? 
Yeah, I have a few takeaways, Deirdre. I think there are a few around how there are grants and programs available for farmers in this case, but generally for us all to actually incentivize us to make, again, what I would describe as quite small changes. But I think the biggest thing I took away from it is that it is, as Paul described there, a win-win situation for everybody involved. Measures are taken in a more cooperative way maybe than we've seen in the past, and there's nothing being forced on the farmers. So they are making positive changes for the environment because they want to, and by doing it, they're also reducing their costs, which can only help them run sustainable farms, I would have thought. And that was my biggest learning from listening to the three men. Very good. Certainly lots of information there. Uh, Now, moving on, we're going to turn our attention to a local business who are doing their bit for the environment. O'Shea Farms, a major supplier of fresh fruit and vegetables, supplying wholesale and retail outlets across Ireland. Their modern facilities in Piltown include temperature, controlled storage and logistical tracking systems. Robbie, you again met... um, with Tom Murray, the agronomist at O'Shea Farms before and before we hear from Tom, can you give us some insights into that conversation? Yeah, so I suppose the best insight you can give in relation to this particular interview is the openness that O'Shea's farms have shown to be in more sustainable, I would say, and they've also discovered ways in which that has actually increased their profitability in the process. It's kind of reassuring from my perspective anyway, and I think people listening in, to know that a business of that size, and they are quite a big business, a lot of people would be familiar with them, have the good of their community at heart by obviously supporting local people through employment like any big business but also through its protection of the environment which I discovered work kind of hand in hand together Absolutely, will we have a listen to Tom? we Will do I'm in O'Shea's Farms in Piltown and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Tom Murray who is of course their agronomist. Uh, Tom, first of all, how are you doing today? Good Robert, yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for calling now. No hassle at all, any time, delighted to be here I have to say. Um, Tom, first of all I suppose for our listeners that are unsure, what do, does O'Shea's Farms do? So O'Shea Farms are primary producers so we grow potatoes and carrots and we also uh, pack potatoes and carrots in for two leading supermarkets in Ireland. And what's the background of the company, Tom? Because I know there's a rich history here. How how did it come to be? So O'Shea Farms originally was O'Shea Brothers. That was started by four brothers. Um, It then moved on to O'Shea Farms, which is now uh, run by TJ O'Shea and James O'Shea. So going back five generations of the O'Shea family here farming on the river shore. And over the last couple of years, particularly, Tom, I suppose, during the COVID-19 pandemic and that, how much has the business changed? Was it a tough period for you? Could you kind of delve into a bit of detail on that? Yeah, like look at like any other business, there was uncertainty there going forward and, and what was going to be open and what wasn't going to be open. Um, we've seen an awful lot of people going back and home cooking, restaurants and stuff weren't open. So there was an increase uh, in demand for potatoes and carrots during that period. Um, so, you know, it, it was unprecedented times for everybody and everybody just had to learn their way through it. I suppose what lessons we learned from it was we've gone through such a pandemic now, we'd hope we may be a bit more prepared um, for the future and also look at a lot of things that we learned in terms of hygiene and, and, and uh, you know, uh, distancing and all will definitely work for us going forward. And would you say that you've kind of kept those things in check going forward now in terms of like the distancing, as you mentioned, and also something that you said there, were you actually busier during the pandemic because, as you said, there was a lot more home, home cooking? Yeah, so we we were busier. Um, as I said, uh, people were eating a lot more at home. There was a lot of panic buying, which mean which meant people bought bigger pack sizes. The bigger pack sizes obviously cre- created bigger volumes that uh, people were consuming. So we, we would have been busier, all right. Now, how much of that was actually consumed and how much was panic bought, we don't know. Um, but certainly, yeah, it, it, it was a busier time for us. And as I said there, Tom, in the introduction, you're the company's agronomist. Could you explain to us what that is? Yeah, so the agronomy role um, that I do is I basically manage the group of growers that we have. So manage them from seed procurement, land selection, um, all the ergonomic factors during the growing season, um, right up to harvest and, and then finally to storage. So it's everything really from, from seed to pack houses, what I look after. And what's your own background, Tom? How did you become an agronomist and how did you get to here? So i done a Level 8 Agricultural Science degree down in WIT. Uh, I started back that back in 2012 and I finished in 2016. Um, I started with O'Shea's then in 2017, but through college I always had a great interest in, in agronomy and uh, that's how I kind of ended up here. 
And just in O'Shea's generally, Tom, I know you do a lot to promote the environment and sustainability, and we'll go into further detail on that a little bit later on, but just kind of a rough overview of it. What are the main things that you do to kind of try and help the environment, I suppose, and do your own part? Yeah, so I suppose initially, like, there is a couple of schemes that, that we are in there, um, such as Borbia, which is Sustainable Horticultural Assurance Scheme. Um, we are all, That's from the primary production point of view, from the, the potato and carrot growing, and then from the packhouse point of view, we're Origin Green members. So with Origin Green, then, we have specific targets to meet every year. Them targets were set in 2017, and we monitor them throughout... Uh, or we monitor them every year and um, we report back then to Origin Green on how we've progressed. And just something that I've noted, and there's a lot of things that you've done, I must say, um, in my research I've noticed, but €25,000 in the form of energy credit payments obtained through the obligated parties uh, scheme were all donated to local communities recently enough, and of course O'Shea's Farms in our clone uh, received funding from SEAI through 3CEA to generate renewable energy on their farms through the design, installation and commissioning of a 250 kilowatt solar installation for cold storage on site expert 3CEA. How uh, there's a lot in that but how important are initiatives like this to continue I suppose that sustainable challenge that um, everybody is doing at the moment yeah, look, we all have to do our, our, our bit in terms of reducing our carbon footprint and, and renewables is one tool that we can use for that. Um, with the nature of the business, p- storing potatoes and packing potatoes is a huge amount of roof space on site. Um, so we see it fit that we can cover a lot of that roof space. With solar panels, we have um, enough solar panels there at the moment to do about 12% of our requirement. That's about 210 kilowatt hours, which is enough electricity to power 40 homes. But I mean, that's only on two potato fridges. There's four on site and there's also the pack house. So the p- potential that we have going forward for generating not only electricity for ourselves, but electricity for the local community is massive. And when would you say, generally, obviously you've been here now for some time, when would you say that all this sort of really hit home for O'Shea's Farms, that you can do an awful lot to help the local community and beyond by actually implementing ideas like this? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously energy was always a cost to any business. It was a cost to any household. Um, over the last 12, 18 months, we've seen with the war in the Ukraine and so on that the energy prices has gone up. Energy is, is a finite. Um, it's only, we'd say, all the oil that's, uh, and, and, um, and natural resources that's used for energy production. Um, you know, we are an island at the end of the day. We have a huge amount of sunlight. We have a huge amount of wind generation. And I think something like possibly the, the war in the Ukraine um, and COVID to a certain extent kind of focuses the mind on that you know, we can do a lot more of this at home and become more self-sufficient at what we're doing. And I mentioned SEAI there. LED lighting, solar PV and refrigeration upgrades were successfully installed with funding through SEAI. Could you bring us through that, starting maybe with the LED lighting? Yeah, so LED lighting is really a simple fix uh, on any factory or any home. LED lighting is a reduction of electricity usage compared to your normal bulbs. Um, so that was, a, that was a quick fix for us in terms of it was a no-brainer really and changing all the fluorescent lighting on site to LED lighting. Um, so I think that's something that any business should definitely be looking at. It's not a huge outlay of cost, but there's a good return from it. And also the solar PV, Tom, could you be, give us a bit of an insight into that one? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier that the... Um, the potato fridges, they've quite, quite a bit of roof space. Um, we took it that it, it was a no-brainer, really, to put renewable energies up on, on, on them roofs um, to create a bit of return for us. They're doing 12% of the factory's requirement, which is about 210 kilowatt hours per, per annum, uh, 210,000 kilowatt uh, hours per annum. And, uh, yeah, that's enough to, to produce, or that's enough electricity for 40 homes. Like So, I mean, you know, that's on two fridges on site, there's four fridges on site, there's a pack house, there's carrot pack house, there's carrot washing Cities. So there's a huge amount of roof space that has the potential to generate electricity there. Um, with potato storage, like there's, you know, uh, the electricity requirement for potato storage is quite high. The standards are quite high. So in order for that, we have to keep the, the fridges running as, as good as they possibly can. Um, with that then, you know, if you take the whole growing cycle of a potato from seed to, to pack house, the electricity from, we'd say, just say a crop that's stored from September to, to June, it's the highest, you know, carbon emitter from the whole production um, practice. So with that then, we've not only just looked at the, the solar panels for the potato stores, but we've looked at better air distribution in the stores. 
we've ordered leading design in terms of air, air, air tightness, air distribution, insulation. We've optimised cooling and drying with positive ventilation. Again, we're using the renewable energy sources where we can. And we also do a, a monthly wash-up as well, which means we take all the, the stock and all the field um, the field varieties that, that's in store. We wash them up once a month. We check them for, for any uh, diseases, any breakdowns, any, any loss in quality. And anything that has loss in quality, we will prioritise to pack them, which means we're not storing any waste and we're storing as much net yield as we possibly can from them from that ton of spuds. It's great to see the amount of work that's being done on that side of things. And then, obviously, finally, the third one that I mentioned was the refrigeration upgrades. Could you give us a bit of an explanation into that? Yeah, so with the refrigeration upgrades, basically we use cooling and air distribution to, to cool down the potatoes and, and dry them out once they come into store. Um, we've installed um, plenum walls, so we, we've better air distribution within the stores, which means the stores then have to run less because they're, they're more consistent in temperature that's in the store. So just to give an example, like potatoes generally come into store from the field 10 to 12 degrees we'll pull them down to about two and a half to three degrees over a three-week period and they'll sit at that then from just say the middle of October till whenever they're required to be packed and they might not be required to be packed until August of the following year so um, with the new advances that we've made in refrigeration and air distribution you know it, it makes our fridges more run more efficient but ultimately that the product that's coming out of the fridges is is better which means we've less energy requirement per ton of spuds that we're packing. Do initiatives like that from the SEAI help businesses like yourselves promote sustainability more, do you think? Most definitely, most definitely. I think it certainly gets the conversation starting in the first place once there is funding available. And it gives people confidence that what they're doing is for the greater good. It's very hard maybe to, to be a maverick and kind of go do it on, on, on your own back. But certainly when them grants and, and funding is available, it's certainly a fantastic tool that, that can be used in order to, to generate more renewable electricity and be ultimately more efficient. If we're more efficient and sustainable, the whole community is more profitable. So I think sustainability and profitability go hand in hand. Yeah, it seems to be the case with everybody that I'm speaking to, I must say. And of course, O'Shea Farms engaged with 3CEA back in 2015 to develop a renewable energy project at their site and install the largest solar PV system up to 250 kilowatts under the BEC programme run by Kilkenny County Council under the Sustainable Energy Action Plan. Again, a lot in that, Tom, but why did you decide to do something like this? Yeah, so we've, as I mentioned, we've a huge amount of fridge storage, we've a huge amount of roof space, um, and it was something that, you know, we took upon ourselves to do in order to become more sustainable, more self-sufficient in, in, in energy production, and really it was just dipping the toes in to see what this work for us going forward, and it certainly has. Something else that I, that I found out when I was reading up about you before this interview, Tom, is that... Um, as a project, PV project generates 11% of the total site electricity and operates a direct feed of the entire PV production to the refrigerator units. Have you noticed that, that maybe there's a trend upwards in terms of sustainable energy for the company? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, and we're looking there now at the minute of going one step further. So um, obviously the, the next step in terms of renewable energy generation is, is being able to store that energy, whether it be in batteries or whichever. But we're looking now at a, a pilot project that we can effectively use our potato stores as a big battery. So effectively, when we have good solar generation, we can put energy into the store by the means of, of, of cold air. And then we don't have to run the stores when our solar generation is less. So it makes the stores more efficient, but it also makes us our carbon footprint lower and makes us um, makes us more green ultimately. And I know you do a lot of work with growing as well, Tom. Could you go into a bit further detail on that side of things? Yeah, so we're primary producers ourselves, ourselves, and we work with about forty growers uh, in the southeast to produce potatoes and carrots for the for the packhouse. So, in terms of sustainability on that, and 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 more um, becoming more efficient, like with a huge emphasis on, on increasing net yields, and what that means is increasing the most saleable pro- produce that we have per acre. So, by increasing the most saleable produce that we have per acre, it means we use less energy, we have a lower carbon footprint, and we're more sustainable. Also, within that, then. Uh, 
um, our soil health is very very important um, soil health is very very topical I don't know why it's topical now it's always been very important and, and, and a key for feeding the world a lot of not a lot of all the produce and, and, and whether it be from dairy to beef to, to vegetables all originates from, from the soil health so we have a huge emphasis on that in terms of rotations. We're in a seven-year rotation for potatoes. We're up to 10 years on, on carrots. We, we, we try and push it as far as we can. We're putting a lot of more green manures back on the, on the ground to increase biodiversity that's in the soil. And we're also putting in cover crops over the last couple of years. The cover crops have given us a huge benefit in terms of the friability of the soil. It's starting to fix up some nitrogen for us. And also it's, it's decreasing soil erosion. So that's a huge factor in terms of any vegetable production if we can decrease soil erosion soil only generates once in 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 um you know, in, in the world so like it, it uh, it's a huge benefit to us in order for cover crops to, to reduce that and with stuff like that Tom how hard is it to get the balance as a business between obviously you know the cost impact on it but also you're trying to do right by the environment is there a balance to be had or how do you approach that yeah, so look, sustainability is profitability. If we're not sustainable, we get caught out. I mean, you know, if we go down the route of disregarding the environment, disregarding soil health, disregarding um, crops, you get away with that for a certain period of time, but it'll always catch up on you. And once it catches up on you, then it's just a closed-door operation. We, we can't produce anymore. So we have to be very, very careful. We have... Um, we have less and less tools that we can use in order to, to increase yield. So we're really going back to getting the basics right. And could you explain to myself, I suppose, first of all, Tom, and also to our listeners, what the Origin Green programme is? So Origin Green is... is um the world's only national food and drink sustainability program. It enables industries to set and achieve measurable sustainability targets that respect the environment and serve local communities effectively. So we thought it was a fantastic opportunity to get into this. In 2021, we became gold members, so we've shown an exemplary reduction in our targets. We've targets in raw materials, we've targets in production, and we've targets in our whole sustainability ethos in terms of the local community as well. So some of them targets, I, I, I won't name them all, I'll name a few of them. Some of the targets is our raw material, which is our, our produce, our potato and carrots. So in 2017, we saw fit that 100% of our suppliers would be our, would be, be a sustainable horticultural assurance members um, for Irish produce. So we have achieved that target. We've achieved it quite easily. And we're very, very close to having a 100% procurement rate of Irish potatoes. Um, which is a fantastic, we're the only packer that has that uh, in the country and it really shows that, you know, we have a huge emphasis on the local community and the local economy in terms of getting as much Irish produce as we possibly can. Our other targets then are water reduction. So in 2017 we set a target that we reduce our water usage by 15% per tonne of packed product. Um, by 2022 we've completely blown that out of the water pardon the pun um, we've reduced it by 39% um, as of last year so it has been a th- that was a fantastic achievement for us and, and, and um, you know we've uh, we've we've not sat on our laurels with that we keep planning to push it forward in terms of water recycling um, another another target that, that we set was to reduce our, our electricity usage by 10, 10% per kilowatt hour per ton by 2022 we've um, we've now reduced that by by 20% uh, as of last year so again we've we've doubled the target that we set in the first place um, that's just on electricity usage per ton so it's taken into account both renewable and non-renewable so I mean overall we've reduced our energy requirement that's true like what we mentioned with our LED lighting and our our, our bore leading um, potato storage d- design um, and also you know Within that, then, you know, we, we were producing 12%, 10 to 12% of our renewable uh, energy from, from our solar panels on site. But we saw fit to go one step further, and all our energy procured now um, from our providers is from 100% renewable resources. So we're, we're, we're a green site in terms of electricity usage, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And something else that I wanted to pick up on, um, despite all your great work there with Origin Green, is packaging. How do you approach packaging in a, in a sustainable manner? Yeah, so packaging at the moment. So um, 
all of our packaging is derived from 30% recycled material. Again, we're a forerunner in that. We're the only packer in the country that has that uh, has that under our belt. Where he, um, we've taken 80% of, of the cardboard out of the, the, the retail um, sector for our produce. So that's from replacing cardboard um, cardboard packaging to to shippers, which. Um, you know, by the middle of this year, we hope to fully have 100%, so the last 20% by the middle of this year. But there's just some logistical things that's in the way, but we hope to have them sorted out by the middle of this year in terms that we'll have 100% of the cardboard eliminated from any produce that we pack on site. And I know as well, Tom, something that's very topical at the moment in the industry is pesticide and the use of it. And I know that you're continuously trying to reduce the levels of it. Could you? I know that you do a monthly test as well for pesticide residue. Uh, how important are monthly tests like that? And also, how do you approach pesticides? Because as I said, it seems to be something that's spoken about quite a bit uh, in the current climate. Yeah, well, look, pesticides are controlled by the EU. They're controlled under the Sustainable Use Directive. Um, so that that's law. Um, we have to follow that law. We have to follow that law very, very strictly. Um, in terms of our own uses of pesticides, in ter- on the carrot end of stuff, we've gone down the route of mechanical weeders. We've gone down the route of, of um, banned um, spraying control of, of weeds. So, I mean, yeah, there's a huge amount. And that, that's out of the loss of chemistry that we've been forced down that route. So, again, it got the conversation uh, going of what we were going to do. And once we got the conversation going, it was really easy change. So, we, we use very very little pesticides uh, in in our growing scheme. Look at their commercial crops. We have to use them. We have to use them in, in terms of feeding the world. Um, so look, you know, again, pesticides isn't a big emphasis on on, on what we do. Um, really, look, we're more in terms of, of our energy consumption and, and and our green footprint. And from a storage point of view as well, Tom, am I right in saying that it's chemical free for your potatoes and your carrots? Yeah, so we've we've chemical free storage on site, so we just uh, we store with with cold temperatures, so that keeps the quality as, as required for our customers throughout the year. I suppose a word that many of our listeners will be accustomed to as well is reusability. Um, you reuse your crates, pallets, and boxes, if I'm correct in saying. We do, yeah. So that's what I was speaking about with the uh, elimination of cardboard. So everything that goes off-site in terms of a crate or a shipper is all returned back here to fill again. So it's in rotation. And, of course, from your wa- from water, um, from that point of view, you have fresh water from on-site as well? Yeah, so we have fresh water from on-site on, on the wells, but, I mean, that's still coming from a water source of some description. Like, you know, we're all sitting on top of aquifers. There's only so much of, of them left in, in the world. So, we, we, you know, we see fit in reducing our, our water usage through water recycling. And, ultimately, it all leads back to increasing our net yields per acre. So if we increase our net yields, we have less waste coming into the factory which means we have less water consumption to wash a ton of potatoes or carrots. And Tom, just before I let you go, your integrated wetland wastewater management system, um, a lot of words in there, but what is that? Yeah, so effectively we have wastewater from the produce that we're washing that effectively goes into a process we've designed on site. It goes down to settling ponds, any clay, silt, stones get settled out of the water that have been carried from the pack house. It then goes through a, a sluice system down to a 13 acre uh, reed bed. There's five ponds within that reed bed. Each pond has different flora um, within that. The different flora then is able to break down any nitrates that may be in that water. And ultimately, by the time it gets to the fifth pond, it's as clean as what we started with it and can be released back into um, the watercourses. And just generally, Tom, on a whole, obviously, we've gone through an awful lot of stuff here that O'Shea Farms are doing and doing really well, I must say, from w- what you're saying. Um, where are you now, do you think, in, in the battle, I suppose, um, in the climate crisis? And where would you like to be in the short term and the long term? Yeah, so look, we're never finished learning. We want to drive to be 100%, 100% maybe electricity generation on site going forward. Um, in terms of our growing aspect of stuff, increasing net yields, um, changing varieties, um, and so on, that our, our energy use from producing a, a crop of or a ton of potatoes or a ton of carrots is, is reduced to the minimum level that we possibly can. In terms of, of vegetable production, it's one of the lo- lowest carbon emitters in the world uh, in terms of food production. So really, like it's exciting going forward. We have a brilliant, brilliant product there and um, I would encourage everyone to, to start eating more of that product. As I said, it's one of the most efficiently grown products um, out there on the supermarket shelves. 
Well, Tom, thanks ever so much for speaking to me today, and we wish you nothing but the best luck in the future, and congrats um, on some great work being done already. Thanks very much, Robert. That was Tom Murray, agronomist at O'Shea Farms in Piltown. And Robbie, a really interesting conversation with Tom there um, to hear him speak about how, you know, if they are more efficient and, esta- and sustainable, the whole community is more profitable, that sustainability and profitability go hand in hand and that they're never done learning. Yeah, that's a, exactly it really, Deirdre. And in reality, what business owner or person doesn't want to find new ways of saving money? You know, an, an extra bonus, I suppose, in this case, that is crucial to everything we do as communities, like Tom is involved with, of course, and as a society generally, is that those cost-saving initiatives and profit-making moves that he was speaking about, they all help the environment, which is hugely refreshing and brilliant to bear witness to, really. And I should say, of course, that you can hear the full extended interview with both Tom and George from tomorrow onwards in our Follow the Leaders podcast that you can get on the KCLR website or the KCLR app and anywhere that you do your podcast listening. Yeah, do check out that podcast and um, unfortunately that's all we have time for on the programme today but we will continue our focus on home and energy um, from a different perspective Robbie next week. Yeah next week we'll be turning our attention towards positive changes in the home with Callan Community Energy's representative and councillor William Patton from Tullow. They're doing great work I have to say in Tullow particularly. I know recently in a scoring system around um, all towns in Ireland they got 42 out of 60 which puts them in the top echelon of towns when it comes to kind of their sustainability measures and just the Tidy Towns initiative that we hear a lot about here on KCLR but there's kind of different angles that we take on it particularly focusing on the environment when I chat to Will so all that to look forward to next week and of course we'll also be hearing from Senior Engineer with the South East Energy Agency Alex Hamilton who will discuss the various ways in which we can all make some form of change, which is, of course, a benefit to everybody. I think that's kind of the the whole point of the show and what we're trying to kind of um, convey here in it. And uh, I have a little preview of Alex and uh, what she'll be talking about next week. We can't make any changes if we don't know where we can make the changes, if that makes sense. So if we don't know how much energy we're using or what type of energy or where we're using it, then we don't know where we can save it. So the very first step is to understand and to and to, and to uh, investigate as to where the energy is, is being used, uh, as I said, what type of energy is being used. That and a lot more to come next week from 6 to 7pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate. A big thank you to all of our guests this evening, Paul O'Brien, Eamon Sheehan, George Hatton and Tom Murray and of course to Robbie Dowling who brought us those interviews. Thanks most of all to you for listening. That's it from uh, Robbie and myself. Make sure to stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.